Well, good evening. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews 12. Hope you had a good day. Uh, it's been a beautiful day, and so glad that we could be here together to look at another, another one of these titles that was given to me by the leadership as we are under the umbrella of keeping the faith. Tonight's title is Keeping Our Eyes on Jesus. And so you're turning with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be there for a moment, just again, enjoying the fellowship, enjoying this time together. Appreciate your kindness, your encouragement. Uh, and how we're joining together in this, this great study, and I hope that this will be beneficial to you. I know it's been beneficial to me. Enjoying also the, the good meals and the, and the time together. It's a good thing I brought extra shirts, you know, because, you know, when you blotch something on you, you, I don't bring a bib, so I just bring extra shirts. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, and in verse 1 and 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Uh, there's a phrase here where it's specifically telling us to do that. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. You see that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about the crown. And he, see, Jesus focused on the crown as He was on the cross. But right now we want to look at looking to Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes we say things and we, we don't give practical help on how to do that. So I said, we just got to look to Jesus. Well, what's that mean? I can't see him. How do I keep my eyes on the unseen? How can I see what I can't see? So what does that mean to me, again, when, when your marriage is struggling? What does that mean when you have addiction, addiction issues? What does that mean when you're worried about the country and you're worried about uh, your life or your health or whatever it is that you're facing right now? And someone says, keep your eyes on Jesus. So what I, what I want to do tonight is say, okay, how can we help each other see what we can't see? And so we're going to look at uh, several things, and you can see that on your outline. So there are, we're going, to get, we're going to do like Noah. We're doing groups of two tonight, okay? So you're going to, either going to say this is a six-point sermon or a three-point sermon. However you do the math is fine with you. I'm going to call it a three-point sermon to, to ease my conscience. That was supposed to be funny there. Okay, so what we're going to do is, what I want to give you is two things that we need to see, two things we need to see, and we're going to talk about two don'ts, and then we're going to talk about two exercises, so that we can help each other when we're in the midst of the trial. You know, when you're in the midst of the trial, you don't think as clearly, do you? When you're worn out and you're weary, because the writer here of Hebrews is telling us to run with endurance. So if I need endurance, one of the ways of doing that is to look to Jesus. So what we're going to talk about is two things to see, two don'ts, and two exercises. So the first thing is to see. We need to see, number one, what Jesus did. The Bible begins... With the very first verse, I know many of you are familiar with this, the very first uh, verse of the Bible in the 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, so we know God created everything. Then you get to John 1, and how does John 1 start? John 1, 1. In the beginning. And so we're directing our minds to Jesus. When you look at Genesis 1, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. All through Genesis 1, you get to John 1, you realize that was Jesus saying, let there be light. Let, let the ground produce all of this life. That was Jesus creating life. That was Jesus creating light. And we get to John 1, and that's Jesus. He's the life and the light. And so we have to look and see what, what Jesus did. We have to lift up our eyes. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 26. This is written, the book of Isaiah is written to, uh, chapter 40 is written to encourage. Uh, it's a direction of where they're turning a direction from all of the things that are going to go wrong and they're turning, turning the direction to focus on the comfort that's going to come through the Messiah. And so they're speaking comfort to the people of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, how are they going to be comforted? They're in darkness. They're, they're uh, in pain. They're, they're being punished for their sins. There's a lot of things going wrong. There's a lot of things that are going to go wrong. How do you speak comfort to them? God says, verse 26, lift up your, lift up your eyes and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the straight greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Notice that the what leads us to the who. I look around to the creation. Uh, yesterday, uh, Roger took me to uh, Squire Boone Caverns, and that was like really awesome. I'd, I mean, it's never been in a cave in my life. I, I can't believe I even say that. I mean, I'm this old, and I've never been to a cave. That was incredible. That was incredible. You lift up your eyes and you see all of this amazing things that God made. Whether you're in the cave, whether you're looking in the microscope, whether you're looking in the telescope, whether you're in the woods, whether you're in the ocean, lift up your eyes and see who has created all of these things. And so what we have to do is, first of all, realize that God created all of these things. That demonstrates the power that He has. But that's one very big miracle in the Bible. But the other very big miracle that we can't do without is the resurrection. And if you look in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 4, we understand that Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead. So, if I look at what Jesus did, Jesus created life. Jesus created all things. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus made some amazing statements. In John chapter 10, he says, I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to raise it up. Now, if, if Jesus created everything and Jesus raised himself from the dead, can he help me with my temptation? Can he help me with my worry? Can he help you with your guilt? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have struggled with guilt and shame? from things from the past. If God can create a bird, if God can create a hummingbird, if God can create DNA, can He help you overcome the struggles in your marriage? Yes. Yes, He can. So God's saying, lift up your eyes and see so that you will know I can help you with what you're facing right now. Okay? David... 
uh, uh, well, sorry, we'll go to Romans 8 first. Romans 8 and verse 32. I'm trying to convince everybody in the world that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. I love Romans 8. But I want you to look at, if we look and we just see what Jesus did. Jesus created all things. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead. If I look at what he did, I want you to notice verse 31 and 32. Romans 8, 31 and 32. By the way, if you ever notice someone try to encourage somebody, if someone ever preaches an encouraging sermon, I'm guaranteeing you they're going to quote Romans 8 at some point. And here's one of those hits of Romans chapter 8. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, what's the answer? Who can be against us? Notice this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all. Here's the rhetorical question. How will he not also with him graciously... Freely, some versions say, give us all things. Can you help me with that struggle that I'm having at work? Can he help me with contentment? Can he, can he help me uh, with complaining? Can he help me with gossip? Well, if he rose Jesus from the dead, I think he can help me with my mouth. You see? And so he wants us to look at, look at these things, see what Jesus did so that I know he can help me now. That's how David, that's how David defeated Goliath. Excuse me for a second. Uh, that's how David uh, defeated Goliath. David says, if the lion and the bear were defeated by God, I can defeat the giant. This is nothing for God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7, if you would. Luke chapter 7. I want to talk to you for a moment about John the Baptist. Do you ever uh, have a moment where you need reassurance and you feel bad about it? You feel like, well, I just don't, I'm just weak. I don't have enough faith. Maybe if I was just like brother or sister so-and-so, because they apparently never struggle, right? You see them at the church building, and they look like they never struggle. And so you, when you struggle, you feel like you're just miserable Christian, and I, why am I so weak? Why am I struggling like this? Well, John the Baptist struggled. John the Baptist struggled. John the Baptist is the guy who stood in the face of Herod and said, you need to give up that woman. John is the one who stood in the face of the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says, you're a bunch of snakes. John the Baptist is the one who stands in the crowd and says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Son of God right there. But yet when he's in prison... In Luke chapter 7, the Bible tells us that he needed some encouragement, that what I call blessed reassurance. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? He'd just been preaching for years that this is the coming one. And now he says, Are you the coming one, or shall we look for another? Did Jesus beat him up for that? Did Jesus browbeat him and say, why are you, you're ridiculous. Why are you struggling with that? No, he gave him evidence. Verse 20, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, what did he do? He just kept doing miracles. He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered, go and tell John what? What you have seen. 
Use your eyes. Look around to what I'm doing right now. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers cleanse. The deaf hear. The deaf are raised up. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the good preached to them. The good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. What has God done for you? Have you ever written that down? Just write down. What's God done for you? Get a big pad of paper. What has God done for you? And just start writing it. Just brainstorming it. What has God done for me? And if he's done those things for me then, he's going to do these things for me now. Okay? So, second thing, we have to understand what Jesus promised. Now, I know on one of the previous lessons I talked about promises, but I want to come back to it because this is critical. Okay? I believe this is so important for us to understand. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. How powerful are the promises of God? If we truly understand them, they are life-changing. They are faith-changing. They'll change the way we think and the way we understand things if we anchor ourselves in the promises of God. But as you're turning to Hebrews 11, here's something that sometimes happens, and it's great that we memorize things. And that we teach our kids to memorize things. And understand, I'm not saying that's bad. We need to memorize and hide God's word in our heart. But if I memorize what we call the five steps of salvation, or what we call the five acts of worship, or I memorize the judges, and I memorize the 27 books of the New Testament, and the 12 apostles. But if I can't list five promises that God made me, I might want to start that. Can you think of, Five promises that God has made every Christian. The Bible says He's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Then we're supposed to, to trust in those promises. And so what I did for you is I wrote down some promises for you to think about. But God has promised us forgiveness if we confess our sins. He's promised us He will not tempt us beyond what we are able. He's promised that I will never leave you or forsake you. Think of those promises. And when we're in the midst of anxiety, and when we're in the midst of depression, when we're in the midst of abandonment, someone has abandoned you, do you think a promise like, I will never leave you or forsake you can help? Can you tell me five promises? If we're going to memorize something, I say we ought to do that. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham was promised a son. He's an old man. He's 75 years old. He has to wait 25 years to get the son of promise, Isaac. In fact, he, he, uh, he laughed when God said it. And God called the child Isaac, which means laughter. So now the child of promise is born. And God says, offer your son up. What? Offer the son of promise up? But I want you to notice what Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19 says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be be named. He considered, listen to this, what did Abraham consider? He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God stopped him from doing it. But Abraham says, if that's the child of promise, if God promised that's the child, God's going to do something amazing. He's probably going to raise him from the dead. That's incredible faith. 
By the way, when Abraham believed that in Genesis 22, look back from Genesis 21 before that. Where are there any resurrection passages he could anchor himself on? There's not one resurrection passage. We have tons of them. He had zero. But because he trusted the promise of God that shaped his understanding, it shaped his faith where he says, if God promised it, he is able to perform it. And that's the faith that you and I need. That's the faith that's going to help us get through the things that are, as Roger says, keeping us up at night. And so we have to see those things. Those are two things that we need to see. See what Jesus did and see what Jesus promised. I hope that you'll spend time on that. And the second thing is the two don'ts. The two don'ts. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Don't stare at the storm. Matthew chapter 14, by this point, Jesus had already calmed the storm once. And those Jewish boys wondered, who is this who calms the winds and the waves? Those Jewish boys knew the Psalms, and they knew that the Psalms talked about God stilling the storms and saying, peace be still. And so they're like, who is this guy? Well, now they're on a boat again, and there's a storm. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that means this had been going on for a long time, and they are rowing and rowing and rowing and not getting anywhere, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they spoke out and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I love Peter. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. Don't you love that? I love Peter. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Don't read any farther. What's Peter just done? He walked on water. Where's his eyes? His eyes are on Jesus. He's walking on water. But when he saw the wind, the storm, what happened? He's afraid. Beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. How many of us get ourselves caught up in staring at the storm and forget to get our eyes on the Scripture and, and got eyes on the promises of God? Maybe your marriage is at the point of breaking up. Maybe you're at the point of losing all hope. Maybe you're struggling again with that addiction and you think, oh, there's no way I can overcome this. You are focusing on the storm. Maybe, maybe you're having one of those years or one of those months where everything just seems to keep hitting one after another and you just feel like you're all swirling around in a storm. If you get focused and fixated on that, you've got to turn your eyes to the promises of God. You've got to turn your eyes to the things that are true 
the things that are just, the things that are noble, the things that are right, so that we can have hope. Don't stare at the storm. The second thing <clears throat> have you ever been through so the trials, been through so many trials, or you're just watching so many bad things happen in the world? I know I'm I'm gonna be 50 next year, so I'm not, I can't say I'm old, I'm not, but I'm I'm starting to getting a little distance here. But I want to imagine you think about those who are 70 and 80 years old, 90 years old, and you're looking back in the country that used to be the morality that used to be. And sometimes we can say, what's happening? Satan seems to be winning. And we look around and marriages may be falling apart and, and the culture's going crazy and, and the schools are going crazy and, and people are stopping going to church and all these things that are happening and we can get fixated, we can get depressed, we can get just scared focusing on the devil's temporary wins. And I say temporary because it's a temporary win. Have you read the end of the book? Read the end of the book. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus wins. Even if you don't understand all of the images and you don't understand all that stuff, understand when you read Revelation, we know we have the, the end of the book, Jesus wins. I would especially encourage you to read Revelation 12 because the devil keeps trying to beat Jesus and beat his cause and he keeps losing. He keeps losing. He keeps losing. Read Revelation 12, just that chapter. He loses over and over and over again in that chapter. And so what, what happens is when we get overwhelmed, and I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like to have all of that stuff around you, and you're so overwhelmed by the problems in your life. Understand Jesus is working. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus wins. And that's not just a, a silly self-help statement. That's what the Bible tells us. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Do you believe that? Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's Bible fact. Don't get fixated on the devil's temporary wins. Satan is working, yes. And I know we like to talk about that, but Jesus is working too and he wins. Two more things. Two exercises. The Israelites are by the Red Sea. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. This is the one we wish the preachers would do, right? The exercise of silence. Ah, oh, come on. Exodus 14. There's a great verse in Leviticus 10 I like to have on my shirt. It says, so Aaron held his peace. i got to just put it on my shirt. Okay, Exodus chapter 14. The Israelites had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. Okay, and they are they're excited. They're heading on the way to the Red Sea. They're stopped at the Red Sea. And who comes? Pharaoh's army, right, with their horses and their chariots. And they're storming right toward him. And they're scared to death. All they see is they're backed up against the sea. And here comes Pharaoh's army, and they're like, wish we'd have just died in Egypt, right? And they start complaining, which they do a lot from this point on especially. But in Exodus chapter 14, Moses, God through Moses tells them something. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not, 
Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be what? Silent, still. Sometimes it's good to just close our mouths. Because when we're scared, like Peter was scared, when he, when he saw, saw all those things on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, he started running his mouth. And God had to come from heaven and say, just listen to Jesus. And so when we're scared, when we're overwhelmed, sometimes it's best if we just close our mouth and take some time, read some scripture, and meditate. Psalm 4, meditate on your bed and be still. I don't think it's on the note. Psalm 4, 4. Meditate on your bed and be still. Are you doing that? Sometimes it's good to take that device that we all have called a phone and go put it in another room. Turn off the TV. Shut all the devices off. I know that's anathema in our American culture. Shut all of it down. The world will not fall apart. Jesus is our example as our Lord. What did he do? He went off into the wilderness to pray. If Jesus did it, that means Aaron needs to do it. Time to get in the closet, be with God, and be still. How are you doing with that? If we want to keep our eyes on Jesus, that means we're going to have to exercise silence. Psalm 131. Turn there with me. Psalm 131. Job learned that as well. Job is like, you know, I'm putting my hand over my mouth. I was talking about things I didn't understand. I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. How many of us need to do that once in a while? I love this psalm, Psalm 131. I would encourage you to read the psalms. Psalm 131. No matter what you're going through, there's a psalm for it. Verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother... Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You see that picture of a mother with her baby and baby's nursed and he's passed out. He's fine. He's cool. He's chill. That's the psalmist. I was worried about all of this stuff and I realized I've got my Lord in heaven who's got me. And I know that's hard. I know that's easy for me to say that. But I struggle with this too. I used to, I used to as a 19, 20-year-old, do Bible studies and say, the Christian should always have a smile on his face. Jesus wept. Jesus was angry. We, we go through trials. And then I have more worries now than I've ever had. But that's why we have passages like this to remind us 
I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to listen to God's word and I'm going to be still and let God work. There are times there may be nothing you can do about it and you've just got to let God work on that. It may be a person in your life. You just got to let God work on them. You can't change anyone anyways. You know that. We don't even do a good job changing ourselves. We can't change anyone else. Trust God. Hope God. Hope in God. And then the final thing is the exercise of prayer. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're studying 2 Kings right now at home in Beaumont. The Syrian army found out that Elisha was giving away secrets and the only reason he knew the secrets of the Syrian army is because God was revealing them to Elisha. So the Syrian armies, they're coming to surround Elisha. They're coming to wipe him out. And so here you have the Syrian army surrounding, surrounding Elisha. And Elisha's servant is scared. Do we ever get scared of what might happen? I do. 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 15, the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out and behold an army with horses and chariots was all around the city and the servant said, alas my master, what shall we do? Notice this, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. What's the answer? For those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Now, if he's only walking by sight, there's Elisha and his servant, and they're surrounded by a whole army. But he says, they're outnumbered. They're outnumbered. And then he says, he prays, and he says, Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. Elisha already knew it. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the Syrians came down against him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. Open his eyes, shut theirs. And so what we have to do is say, Lord, I want to see. I want to trust. I want to see things in a spiritual way. I don't want to walk by sight anymore. Fall before the throne of God and say, I don't want to walk by sight anymore. I don't want to be afraid and walk around this life afraid. I'm going to trust in your promises. Help me to do that. And of course, along with that, I think we need to hang on to other people who are trying to do the very same thing. Paul prayed in the same way for others' spiritual eyesight. It's a good thing to pray for people's eyes to be opened. Think two things to see. See what Jesus did. See what Jesus promised. Two don'ts. Don't stare at the storm. Don't fixate on Satan's temporary wins. And let's exercise silence and exercise prayer. Thank you very much.